Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist. And I'm Kate Hensler, developmental interventionist. How are you today, Laura? I am doing very well. It's such a sunny, beautiful day where we live today, so that's made me feel perky or perkier, I should say. It's all relative, yeah. (laughs) I had a hard time getting going this morning. It felt like a Monday, you know, one of those days where you're just kind of, oh, but I've gotten it together this afternoon, so I am really happy about that. Well, good. Yeah. Go ahead. Were you going to say something? Well, I do have a sports update. For those for listeners who are interested in the sports update, Indiana has remained number one despite a loss early in the week to Illinois. They managed well, they to beat Ohio better. State handily, and now they're still number one. So, well, I'm very happy with you and your Hoosiers. And it is funny with all the losses that have happened. So many top twenty-five teams have losses, and Johnny and I were looking at that today and thinking that. Some of those teams in the top 25 don't even really need to be there anymore because they, they've they not had really hard schedules. And some teams have the same record as my U.K. and are still ranked higher than U.K., even though they've played nobody. So, anyway, I'll oh, really? leave it at that. Yeah. Minnesota. What's mm-hmm. Minnesota doing in the top 25? And Johnny's saying, please don't offend anybody in Minnesota by saying that. Sorry, Minnesota listeners. <laughs> You, they, I'm sure they're aware that the coach was formerly UK's coach, though. See, I always root for Minnesota, and they have to play in the Big Ten, and there's no doubt that the Big Ten is the most blah, 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 Oh, blah, come blah, on. Come whatever. on. <laughs> Let's move so on to Wisconsin something should be ranked, but they're not. <laughs> Wisconsin should be ranked, okay. and that's what Johnny was saying, too. Wisconsin should totally be ranked. All right, but that's it They're for today's good. sports. And U.K. is back in the top 25, just so oh, good. Let no one make a mistake about that. So there you go. All right, that's oh, it for good. sports like today. Okay. Let's move on to some other announcements. Um, both of the winter therapy guide and the structured teaching for Valentine's Day uh, therapy guides, I wanted to mention those because both of those, uh, therapy guide switch and a therapy guide if if a listener is new. A therapy guide is my new thing that I've started doing since December and it's about an hour video that you can click on a link after you purchase it and watch it on your computer and then you also get a written summary which sometimes they're as long as 25 pages, sometimes they're as short as 10 pages. It just depends on how many activities are on one one video or therapy guide, as to how long the written summary is. But both of those are available, and it's not too late to plan some really cute activities this week for Valentine's Day. And the structure teaching one is on sale for less than $10. So it's really, really cheap, too, and I wanted to mention both of those. Those are uh, lots of fun, and I'm getting great reviews from people who are reading those. So wanted to mention those. Did you, you got the second one, didn't you? Did I send it to you? I got it, but I haven't watched it, and I meant to watch it before the show so I could say I, I, it was great, but I didn't watch it, so I can't well, say that. I'm sure I'll love it. I've been waiting for it, and then I haven't watched it. I think that's because I know I've been on basketball. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, sorry, first things first. <laughs> Watch your old friend Laura anytime. Okay, well, that's that. So I wanted to mention that. I did want to say, too, that, oh, this is a big thing. If your state early intervention program has special requirements for um, re-upping your credentialing or licensure or whatever your state calls it, let me know about that. Shoot me an email at laura at teachmetotalk.com because I'm going to try to get my products and all of those videos um, counted toward your continuing education requirements. So some states require that they 
the product or the course or the video or whatever be registered. And if you just register it, then the therapist can count it when they're redoing their credentialing. Kate, remember when you worked with Indiana, you had to do all the credentialing stuff? Yes. Lots of states have that. And so I want to mention that. We got an email from a state, and it just reminded us of that in the last day or two. So if you... um, if you want to do that, and if your state requires that and you're interested in that, email me so that I can help you coordinate all of that. So I wanted to mention that. All right. We ha- Any other stuff before we get going today, Kate? No. Okay. We have a topic prepared for today, but it looks like we have a caller, too. So let's go to our caller. I don't know if this is going to be someone who's just secretly listening in from work and who doesn't want to talk. Or just a real person with a real question. So we'll just But go ahead see. and talk because we like when they talk. That's right. We'll just ask them. Hi, caller. Are you there? I'm here. Did Hi. you have a question? Um, I was just mainly listening. But sure, I could talk about some questions I have. Um, I have oh, a... Oh, good. <laughs> I have a three-year-old son um, who is a practic. Uh-huh. And... Um, we're having a very hard time with certain sounds that he's making substitutions on, such as uh-huh. an E, he does an N, um, and what? an S, he does like a nasal sound. And I'm having okay, a very hard could, time Kate, getting him away from those. Okay, Kate couldn't hear your first question. You said or your Sorry. first sound is <laughs> N or a D, right? So E. Instead of making a long E sound. He puts his tongue up, so it sounds like an N. Okay. So, like, if he yeah, wants to say an E, he just says, mm. Yeah. Oh. And then give me your other examples. For an, he, for an but, F, he just does a nasal. He does the nasal S, yes. What does your speech file just say about that? Well, she's been working on it, um, and we just, Switch speech pathologist because we graduated from early intervention um, uh-huh. because he just turned three, so we haven't right. been working with her all that long. She's been trying to um, get him to um, use a uh, short I sound uh-huh. for the E. Work toward it progressively. Yes, that's yeah, good work toward it progressively. And um, for the S, he won't even show her the S. Like he is self-conscious about the fact that he knows that that S is wrong. Are you saying S like snake or S yes, like, S like snake? Yeah. Okay, like All right, well, I'll just tell you, I would not be too concerned about that S, even though S carries lots of meaning language-wise. I mean, the reason that it's important is because it makes the word plural, meaning more than one, where hats become hats. And it also carries more meaning when you make something possessive, like mommy's shoes versus daddy's shoes. So S carries so much meaning in English. However, it's still not entirely what we would consider a developmentally appropriate sound, meaning that even some typically developing children will not have an S at three. And so although it is very important and it is something that we know that he needs and there are lots and lots and lots and lots of three-year-olds who can do that sound, it's still not really um, an error yet because S really is considered a four-year-old sound. So for S for you, that just means you're just going to do lots of modeling and facilitating and doing anything you can to call attention to it. But if he is getting up, overly upset and frustrated by that, that means you really need to lighten up because yeah. you don't want him so self-conscious about the way he talks. Right. Because lots of things could happen. He could totally shut down, and that's going to do no one any good at all. <laughs> or he could become so anxious about it that you could start hearing some disfluency you know, and uh, stuttering, disfluency is a, a, the preferred term for stuttering, and that certainly is what happens too. You know, that certainly can become a component of it when children, and that's not the only reason that people are disfluent, and please don't 
you know, don't let anyone <laughs> misunderstand that. I'm just saying you don't want him so overly conscious of it that you make him so nervous that he starts getting anxious anytime he talks. Yeah. So as his mom, I would just do lots of really praising him and saying, oh, you're working so hard. I'm so proud of you. I love the way you talk. And even though you know that, you know, he's working on it and there's certainly things to address and whatever, you still want him to feel so good about what he has accomplished and what he is able to communicate that it doesn't, that there's some positive reinforcement and lots of praise that he also associates with talking and communicating. Does that make sense to you? Yes, yes. Okay. How verbal is he? Um, He's actually doing pretty good. Um, He has recently started really saying a lot of phrases and sentences. And at home with me, he talks constantly, and um, his language skills are real good, but a lot of it's approximations. Um, But I can understand Mm -hmm. most of what he's saying. But at school, he barely talks at all. Like, he says one or two words at school. Oh, right. Yeah, Um, And even the speech therapist has hardly ever heard him say a full sentence. And Um, see, and that tells me that he's he's a little, on some level, aware. And does he have a shy personality, too, or do you think it's just all related? He does have a shy personality. Yeah, he does have a shy personality on top of it. Well, and that's kind of a double whammy then. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because he naturally might feel a little bit withdrawn and a little reluctant to interact. And so then, you know, layer that speech issue on top of it, and it makes it a little harder for him. So you just want to be sure that he's feeling really supported and encouraged. Now, is his school, since he's, did he just turn three? Is this a new school for him? Um, he's been there since the beginning of the year. Okay, so since the beginning of September or January? September, September. Okay, okay. I would have hoped that he would be talking a little more at school by now. I mean, usually in that first four to eight weeks, that's kind of a warm-up period. But if he's not really doing that, I would, are you talking to the teachers about doing everything that they can to help them feel more comfortable to communicate? Yeah, we have. Actually, I just had a conference with them, and we were talking about that more, about that they need to try and elicit more more communication from him. I think that they generally will just take whatever he'll give them and move on, and they don't push it at all. Right. So he knows that they don't really expect him to do much. And when he does try and say a big, long sentence, it all falls apart, so they don't understand what he said. And then realizes, oh, they don't understand me. Let me just go back to say my one word. Well, and that's pretty smart, too. I mean, that's really a compensatory strategy, and he's really doing that on his own. Yeah. So that's good. And honestly, beyond um, just doing your your dirty work with articulation and your speech pathologist helping him clean up his speech, it is just kind of a weighted-out process, along with your teachers encouraging him at least to get a phrase, a short phrase, and it, and for really well-rehearsed things, if that can make him more comfortable with, you know, responses that everyone would say every day or something, again, that they're going to know what it is that he says, that's going to make him more comfortable over time and then make him a little more, apt to try newer things. Do you see what I mean? Do you see what I'm talking right. about? You'll want them to really encourage him. Did you did you send me a question about this? I did. did, I, I did okay, good. Yeah. I was going to say, this sounds like that little guy <laughs> that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, so I would just keep on with those recommendations. But let's get back to your specific question. E, that sound, that long E, is really hard for lots of kids mm-hmm. who have motor planning issues. And, boy, Kate and I could probably do a whole hour on how hard that is to elicit. I would just do tons of modeling where, you know, and he is really, does he ever, is he able to get that facial, um, like make his little lips retract so that he's, you know, spreading them out lengthwise? Like, can you see that he's doing the E, or does he just, can he not get his lips like that? 
No, his his lips seem to be in the right position. It's just that he keeps putting his tongue in the way. Yeah, yeah. I think your therapist is doing the right thing by trying to modify a sound with that. Um, I would I would just keep on with the things, and without me be, really being there and being able to work with him, I would just keep doing what she's recommending since she is right there in his little face. And I mean, she's doing the right thing with it. I. At, at, for you, I would do lots of working that sound into anything that you can that's play-related. And my very favorite thing to do with that is the whee as we're making something slide or any kind of way that I could work that sound in. Uh, and even if you're going to leave off the part, the, the be- that beginning consonant there, so that you're just doing ee, um Something that might be activities that might, will he, how playful is he with you at home? I mean, is he? He's playful with me, yeah. Okay. I would get in the longest part of your house and you be on one end of the floor and have him on the other and roll race cars back and forth at, you know, little hot wheels as you're both saying, wee, and do everything you can to kind of get that going. I would do things like, uh, does he respond when you say, you know, put your tongue down. Does he? Does he? Is he able to follow any kinds of any kind of direct cues like that? No, he doesn't. I I tell him to put his tongue down, but or move your tongue or anything, and he does. But sometimes he'll bite his tongue instead. Um, that's as far as uh, yeah. Well, talk with your speech pathologist about has she done any? Uh, has she put anything in his mouth to try to get his tongue down when he's doing it, when he's trying to do that sound? No. Has she done any kind of anything with a little tongue depressor or anything like that? No. I'm pretty hands-off with kids, too, so I'm not saying that that's wrong or anything, but I know a lot of therapists really might try to see what would happen if they could reposition that little tongue and again, that's easier said than done because some kids get so aversive to that and are so really turned off by that. I, the other thing I would do because of that is really try to get him then to just imitate anything that you can do in play with his little mouth. Will he click his tongue? If he gets it up, he probably will. Like yeah, I, yeah, he will click it. Uh-huh. Anything like that for you're giving him that direction and have him do it is going <laughs> to ultimately make that better. Anything that he can do that he can get better control is going to um, is going to make that again him able to follow those directions and those cues a little more. So just you know do things with let's wiggle our tongues, let's click our tongues. Let's do, and again, your goal here is not anything other than he tries to imitate what you're doing and he follows those cues a little a little better. Um, and, you know, I wish I could be of more help, <laughs> but without directly seeing what he's doing, um, right. you know, that's going to be my best guess. But it sounds like your speech pathologist is doing the right thing by by working on that, modifying it, and getting that yeah. that other sound. So sounds like you're in good hands. That makes you feel better. It does, it does. You were hoping there was going to be a like better answer, weren't well. you? <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't figure it'd be an easy fix, but yeah, and just yeah, do tons of modeling, tons of modeling. But you're saying, listen, listen to mommy, listen, listen, listen. So he's really, you know, and again, it's not that he's not hearing you. You just want to keep giving it that model and trying to. Now, is he doing better with the if there? I mean, can yeah. you get that? Okay. The S. Over to, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But no, I'm sorry. I couldn't quite understand what you were saying. It'll get better with time. If he's getting yeah. the id there, she'll be able to shape it. Okay. It should just be really I've gotten before with with uh, a long e sound, getting a kid to do an e when you're brushing their teeth. Okay. Yeah, we haven't tried it while he's brushing then, his teeth. Yeah. And then you've got two words in there. <laughs> yeah. And, if, and you could even maybe do that in the mirror. Sometimes the mirror will help. Sometimes mm-hmm. it makes it worse. 
He's not a mirror kid. He does not like the mirror at all. Okay, then forget the mirror. But, do, but with his teeth, I mean that's a that's but a good thing. But when you do thing. his teeth, I used to do I used to do with my kids when I was brushing their back teeth because I wanted them to close their like clench their teeth and I'd say say e, but um, it, they seem to kind of get it then and it's a good time you can kind of help them get their if they're not getting their mouth in the right position because you're in there brushing so it's like e say e. But see, it yeah. sounds to me like he is kind of getting his mouth in the right position, but he, he is he's just tongue up. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, is that what he's doing? Yeah, that's what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Yeah. And so doing it, working at it from it, is going to be the best the best way to do it. And you're just going to have to shape it over time. Okay. So, good luck. <laughs> Thank you. And with S, you know, that's just going to be kind of a, um, just what is she having you do for that? She's not really working or focusing on that um, at the moment. Because she, she's never actually seen him do it, because he won't—he won't even attempt it with her. Um, so, but he had originally a real S, like when he was two, and it disappeared into this nasal S. And I can't. Hello, Apraxia. Yeah, <laughs> that really is just kind of the nature of the beast, and that's how you know that that's a, a appropriate diagnosis for him too. Losing a sound that he had, and really an atypical substitution for that S. Um, that doesn't sound like something that you know we're going to hear a lot for a kid kind of doing a nasal sound for an S. And I think she's right not to really, really focus on that yet either. I think fixing his vowels is exactly what I would try to do too. I love though that he's his language is moving along, and I want you to still. Focus on that and keep adding new words and that intelligibility piece. It's going to get easier as he matures and gets a little older because then he's going to be able yeah. to follow cues a little bit better. And really all of, our, all of articulation therapy is cognitively based because you have to be able to follow really intricate instructions. And for a long time, when I went to graduate school, we didn't even think about working with a child with specific speech sounds or with articulation until they were over three because we didn't feel like that they were developmentally ready for that. And so he is just now coming to the point where those goals are are realistic for him. And so thank God for maturation because that's going to, one, hopefully correct some of the stuff and with all with apraxic kids, that doesn't always happen because they do have a neurological motor speech disorder. But as he gets older, it will be easier for him to do the things that he needs to do to make his speech more intelligible, meaning that he's going to be able to follow those those more specific cues like don't put your tongue up. You know, right now that's still pretty darn abstract. And so just keep working with him on... Um, the things that you're doing with having him imitate what you're doing with your mouth and then moving closer to the right sound, even if it's not perfect yet. Right. Okay. All right. Yep. Email like me back. pretty well. <laughs> yeah. And email me back and let me know how he's doing and stuff. And I may dig out some more, um, some harder tricks that I might not want to talk about here on the air. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll email you. Sounds good. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. All right. All right. Oh, articulation. Ugh. I'm so glad he's trying. Yeah. Therapist, he's doing the right thing by working on that. It and she is just now to the point where she can kind of address things like that. Um, too bad right. he's not talking more at school, though. Bless his heart. Yeah, you know that seems pretty common uh, that apraxic kids do that. They Once they're pretty verbal at home, you put them in a situation where people don't understand them. Right. And they just don't, they don't talk very much. Even though they can, uh-huh. they know. They don't get it anyway, you know. Yeah, yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, she had emailed me that question. I was thinking as she talked, boy, this sounds really familiar. Uh, and the things uh-huh. I suggested in the email word that the teachers really start with 
things that all the kids say, kind of rote responses to, you know, like you would do at circle time or something, to help him become more comfortable with talking and to also ask him questions that they already know the answer to so that, uh, again, they have more to go with. And I think just really encouraging him even to just use some really simple um, repetitive phrases every day will really get that language going at school. And I know his speech pathologist is not really going to work on that because she's got this whole articulation piece to look at. But I hope that his mom can address some of those things. And she had another meeting with the school, so it sounds like that they, but that's what they talked about. And that's certainly what I encouraged her to do uh, when we were emailing back and forth. So... Um, that that would even be a bigger issue to me than even all the sounds in the right places. Although I know right. speech therapists who are listening are thinking, well, if she if his speech gets clearer, he'll talk more, and I I know that and appreciate that. But I still would think as his mom and as his teacher, they would want to do everything they can to help him be a little more willing to communicate because the more he practices. Right. 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 Yeah. That really, that's what fixes it is practice, and it's unfortunate yeah. that he is in school where it's social and they're verbal, and he's shutting down and not getting verbal practice. Right. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of a lot to look at, and again, real world, big picture, that would be more important, I think, than even these uh, these sounds. But, it, again, I think his therapist is doing the right thing with that. And a lot of the fixes that I would do for that kind of kid, he's already passed that uh, with mm-hmm. his lips are in the right place. He's got the modification, although it sounds like he's not really using that all the time. You know, those would be our initial things that we were going to look for. Um, and he's just at that next little step. And... Um. Anyway, that's hard. That's hard, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's out of my league. He's he's school therapy. <laughs> yeah, and his therapist is doing the right thing. So that's the other thing. And I know that there, if there are some therapists that are listening that are prompt people, and they're thinking, why don't you do, you know, do, and maybe that would work, but perhaps the therapist doesn't feel comfortable with that, and is not going to really do that. And I, of course, am not going to talk about um well anyway all right let's just move on before i get myself in a whole lot of trouble here all right okay we have another caller today oh cool see who this is i know a lucky day hi there caller are you there hello (laughs) yeah hello question for us it's Linnell. I was just holding on in the closet. You can write at work to listen, aren't you? <laughs> well, do you want to talk, Linnell, or do you just want to hold on and listen? Because we're going to have to talk about your question. Mm, no, I'm going to listen. Okay, there you go. I'm going to put you right back on hold then, okay? Okay. All right. Okay. Okay, good to hear from you. Oh, shoot. I think I hung her up. Sorry, Linnell. Uh, Linnell has called several times. She's a, uh, we love her. We've actually gotten the privilege of meeting her and her little boy. And she sent a question a couple weeks ago. And then several times, and I emailed her today and said, hey, Kate and I are finally going to talk about this today on the show. And several other people have written the same version of this question. And their kids are at the same place that little Elijah's at now and he's still not really imitating new sounds or using new sounds. Now he is noisier during play in that he will yell and scream and he was even doing that last year when we met him. Remember that little ah that he would do with us when we were playing uh-huh, with him. Uh-huh. So he can volitionally do that. And he will occasionally, excuse me, pop out a word or two. And when she emailed me back today, she said she did hear more approximations over the weekend with real words than she's heard before. He did like a a guh for go. 
and some oh. things like that. But I know, big, big improvements over the weekend. But she's still wanting some additional ideas for how do you still hear more variety with that? Because he's still not imitating words. You know, they still can't say, say blah, blah, or say ball, say a book, say car. Say, he, still, he can't do that yet. And even the little words that he has, he's still not really imitating those consistently yet. So that imitation piece is still hard. But her main question is, what am I going to do to get him to do some different sounds? You know, of course, he's not going to do anything if she's, you know, and if, again, you real speechy people are saying, well, can't you just do a sound in isolation? Like, pop, pop, pop. no, he can't do that. <laughs> so we have to give her <laughs> some better ideas of how to elicit these things in play. And again, her little boy is darling. He's so playful and fun. And, um, but he does shut down when it becomes uh, too. Intense. Would that be the right word, Kate? Or too complex for him? It has to be pretty fun and pretty playful, and he has a motor planning component too. So if the task that you're trying to get him to do is too hard, even with a toy, he doesn't really want to do it anymore. He'll just kind of fold into himself, you know, or go away. He He's one of those kinds of kids, so you have to kind of watch it with um, – what you're playing with so that you're not overstimulating him so much that so that he totally shuts down. So my suggestion for these kinds of kids is that you're really just going to model a lot of not real words but those early, early, early vocalizations in play so that you get them accustomed to doing different things with their little voices. And so they learn, I have a mouth and I can control it. And so that they are, again, increasing variety with the kinds of vocalizations that you're hearing, even if they're not real words yet. Now, we have talked a lot about that on this show with how we move children from imitating actions to imitating, you know, or actions with a toy or with an object to imitating actions with their little bodies, with hand motions in songs or in games. And then we move into imitating things, um, you know, again, with signs that are communicated with sign language or even little facial expressions. And then we kind of bump him up to this vocalization level, and that's the level where he seems to kind of be stuck. He can certainly imitate a scream or a squeal, but she's not hearing a ton of stuff beyond that. And so the things that I try to elicit right after we start hearing those kinds of things are still pretty basic and pretty simple and pretty easy, but you have to have a kid be able to do these things or he's not going to be able to move forward, especially a kid who can't do anything like a real word with any consistency. So I try to get them to do that audible inhalation and exhalation. And, again, the audible inhalation is like a surprise kind of noise, like, <gasps> or... The opposite of that is that little panting thing with the dog. And if I remember correctly, Elijah was doing that a little. Mm-hmm. When he was I think so. Yeah. And so he's just kind of beyond that. So you want to look for things that he can do that are still vocal but not necessarily words. Because, again, this is where we know that he's more likely to be successful. So that would be like fake coughing, fake sneezing. Um, fake crying, a little whine, like <laughs> snorting or snoring. So a little pig sound, where again, it's not as hard as doing a moo or a ba or a meow, something that we could actually spell, but something that's more sound effect like. Like for a pig, it would be like a. <laughs> or uh, even slurping <laughs> while you're drinking, like a. <laughs> or an eating sound, like a. Not quite a yum, 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 or num, num, num. You know, we're not, he's not really to the point that he may be able to do that. But these early, early, early little sound effect play sounds are what I would try to really do with him um, and see if she can't hear more consistency with those little things 
before um, before she's ever going to even hear um, animal sounds or things that we were talking about before. So it sounds like he's just below that. And I love that she was able to get some things that sounded closer to real words, but I think if she would back up and really work at this level, that she would start to hear more variety in his vocalizations, even if she can't really identify what consonants and vowel sounds she would be hearing. More likely, those are going to be closer or close to something else. Like any time I hear that little pant, that I think, okay, he's going to be able to do an H. So we're going to think about words like hot and hat and high. So you can take those approximations that you're hearing, even in these little sound effect kinds of things, and shape them eventually into words. But some kids really need to stay at this level for a while before they're able to move on to what sound like real words. And, Kate, I know you do this kind of thing when you're playing, too. With, and with kids who aren't at that real world level yet. Yeah, any imitation is, you know, a step in the right direction. And you really have to teach them to, kind of, to be imitators. And if they can't get a word, then, yeah, below it, that's sometimes those are the easiest. Yeah. Yeah. And so this, those are the easiest. So, yeah. good place to yeah. start. Yeah, and that's what I would do with him, and I wouldn't even model a ton of, I would just, you're still talking to him, of course, and you, of course you're still modeling words, but what I mean is I would really make this the focus of any kind of play that you're doing with him so that if you're playing cars, you're doing a lot of, you know, or whatever, you know, any kind of sound, not necessarily, you know, even if you're doing exclamatory words, which would be more like boom and beep, beep, beep and those things. If if you can eat just anything, even that would come before that, you know, like I was trying to do the brake screeching or a, you know, whatever little sound you can come up with, if we truly analyzed those uh, vocalizations, we could probably pull some almost consonant sound and vowel sound, well, vowels for sure, approximations out of there. But a lot of kids still can't sequence it all together so that it even sort of sounds like a real word. But you've got to start them at this level so that they're learning just to be more vocal in general. And he certainly, as she said, you know, has the whole screaming face down. <laughs> so he's <laughs> able to do that. So we've still got to kind of move in the where toward where there's more variety. It's not that he's not noisy, is what I'm trying to say. He's noisier now. We've just got to shape it a little more and start to get some more sound so that we have a little more to work with because he's still not at that uh, level where he has enough variety to even be able to pull to do more than a couple of little word approximations. And again, your point, Kate, was he's still not imitative enough to do word approximations. Right. So we've got to get him at that imitative level first. Uh, what do you want to do? More fun, playful, almost like sound effects. More they yeah. tend to; those are easier to get them to imitate. Usually. Exactly. Yeah. So why? And I don't know. They're fun. They're just fun sounds. That's what they are. <laughs> That's what I think too, and I do think it uh -huh. takes. A little more, I don't know if creativity is the right word, but a lot of times when we're working with children and we, um, especially when we have highly educated moms and we're worried about language where we're doing a lot of modeling words but we're not necessarily modeling play sounds or modeling vocalizations that are not real words yet, and so um, kids don't have as much opportunity. And so we, as an adult, we, to imitate something that they might possibly be able to imitate. So as an adult, we have to really monitor ourselves and pull it way back so that lots of our vocalizations when we're playing with them are these kinds of things instead of real words. Now, dads and older brothers are usually great at this. They are. <laughs> so, yeah, they're the sound effect kings. <laughs> yeah. 
And so sometimes you can say to them, listen, when you're playing cards with him, I want you to forget the real words. I mean, say car and go and all that occasionally, but I really want you to do it a lot of sound effects. And they can come up with things I've never even thought to do. I mean, some of the things that they'll, they'll stay in play. I'll think, well, where did that come from? That's awesome. How'd you do that? And so, or a kid will imitate a sound during play like that that he's never, ever done for me when I've been playing or for mom. Mm-hmm. And so we really have to think about uh, changing how we sound during play and what we do during play. And a lot of times that means talking less and using these sound effect things kind of more. Now, if you were thinking, Laura, I still don't know what the heck you're talking about here, I've got a good resource for you. Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers is the book I wrote last year. And these are all level four activities. And so there's a whole list there. And if you are not very... Uh, playfully, or not very playful by nature, that you're just a little bit more serious or you're just not, again, not quite sure what I'm talking about, that book really outlines how to use these kinds of vocalizations in play. And, again, you've got a pretty good list there of things that you could do. Another good one that I do at this, when a kid's at this level, is a shh, like a be quiet sound. Yes. And I like Definitely. that one because yeah, because you can put your finger and at snoring. Snoring yeah. is a good one. Same. Yeah. Any of those that you, and they tend to like them so then they, you know, I don't know, they're just less pressure than a word and more playful and they'll just right. try and imitate them. And hey, once you've got then you kind of hook them. Then they kind of get it. Oh, I have to try and do what you do. But until they get the imitation piece, yeah. And I think that's really, I mean, we're specifically talking about one kid here, but lots of kids have that issue where right. the, the the imitation piece is still the point that's missing. I mean, yeah, they don't have many sounds to work with, but you get the imitation piece in, and then they're more willing to try. And because of that practice piece and because they're doing it more often, you'll start to hear some different things, you know, and, you know, is that true maturity? Is that better motor planning? Is that, you know, who knows or cares? It just <laughs> comes into place when you're putting all of those things together. Um, so I would start to just try to try to do some of that. And the other thing that she said in the email that I don't know if I um, said or not is that she tried a ton of animal sounds because he likes animals. He has a lot of books that he loves with animals and she's done some great things with receptive language where she's real you know, now he's really pointing to pictures in books when she says, you know, where's the duck, where's the dog, where's the cat and she of course I know, says, that's no. awesome. I know, isn't that great progress? And she also said even with novel pictures, even with books that aren't his favorites and everything, he's generalizing and he can point to them on right. command, which is great. Mm-hmm. And, but he's still not doing those sounds, and so she still knows, mm-hmm. okay, there's a piece missing. And he has been diagnosed with uh, motor planning difficulties or apraxia, and that's, you know, not just a verbal issue for this little guy. It's a whole body issue. He's had some, um, you know, with with play, there have been some things that he's had some difficulty with the motor planning piece. And, again, he's not the only kid like this. We've seen a ton of them. Um and so these are these are the kinds of things that you're going to want to do. But my point about that is she's got to take him a step down from those animal sounds because if he could do moo for the cow and woof, woof, woof for the dog and meow for the cat, he would have already done it because he likes those things and he's had enough exposure to those things. And, again, I count those animal sounds as real words because we can't spell them. They are made up of consonants and vowels. And so he's not quite there yet, so you have to bump him one little tiny baby step down, which would be at this, that early vocalization level that, again, these things, you know, when you fake sneeze, you know, granted, there are some real speech sounds in there, but unless you're a speech pathologist and know how to do all that phonetic transcription, you might not think about, you know, you might not count that as a word. You're saying, that's a sneezing sound. And so that's where... We need to be with him because that's just that little level 
that next level down. And when we look at typically developing speech and language with babies, a lot of babies will do the, a lot of these kinds of things. They're doing them right before their real words start to emerge or as their real words emerge. So it's an often overlooked part of speech-language development, but it's one that I think that if we try to isolate it and make it fun, you know, we're not saying he's going to produce, you know, individual speech sounds. We're going to hear him do a pop or a bub or whatever. We're not going to have him producing consonants in isolation. We're going to make it more fun developmentally appropriate, put it all in play, and we also want to do it in a way that doesn't call huge attention to it so that it makes it a little bit easier for him to imitate and he's a little bit more willing to do it because he doesn't even realize that he's in therapy. You know, he thinks he's just playing with mom or playing with whoever his friend is or whatever, you know, the therapist or it's not really like it's work. You're not going to put him in a high chair and say, you know, now's the time for you to imitate what I say. Here we go. You know, you're not doing that. You're playing on the floor. You're playing, you know, if your mom in the bathtub. You're doing all of these things as just part of what he's already doing because it does uh, make it happen a little easier for him and, to, like you said before, take that pressure off so that he's able to do it a little easier. So those are the yep. things that I would recommend. Just any little vocalization like that. And the other thing I would do is really listen to what he's already doing in play. Uh, any other little vocalization that he's doing that might be newer or that could be just a little uh, variation of something he's done before that's just a teeny bit different and then really try to imitate him and see then if you can get that kind of back and forth going. And he's a kid who likes that anyway. And it is nice to talk about a kid that I've seen before. Yeah. <laughs> Gives us a little bit of a clue as to what to recommend. But that back and forth, too, just anything anything that she can change just a little bit. But the other thing, when she sent the email, I've, I've found it. She said, you know, within the last week, he's become he's begun to imitate some more sounds in social routines. He's saying something that sounds like tickle when they're playing a tickle oh. game. So I, yeah, so I would really listen for that and listen, you know, what sound is that? What is he doing? And try to see if I can transition that even to another game or another word or another something that might be really similar to tickle. You know, I would just have to kind of hear it, see what else we might turn that into or shape that into. She said he's saying go for go with ready, set, go. So he's right on the verge. Uh, she said when she sneezes, she'll say ah, and he tries to finish that with chew. So that's great. Although she oh, said it sounds more like ga, but he's that's okay. He's trying. <laughs> and she said he has popped out a couple of words at school. He did say dog, and then he said bye bye a couple of weeks ago. And um, those aren't consistent, but but they're coming. So you want to really listen for those and try to elicit those words and really set up those opportunities for him to use those words too and she might try to do it like a verbal routine like she's done with ready, set, go and again sometimes in like the I choose, kids will finish something or complete something even if they don't even really mean to yet. That's called automatic speech. It just starts popping out before they even can really think about it or control it. So that would be something I would really set up too. Lots of fun, social, kind of verbal routine things so that he gets in the habit of knowing what's supposed to be there and then jumping right in and finishing that. Uh, and that, that sounds like it might be a strategy that would work really well too. Yeah, because he's starting to get some of those. I mean, she, you know, it sounds like those are recent developments. I think she needs to build in that area before she tries to bump it up to words too much. I think you're absolutely right. He's just yeah. starting to get the imitation stuff. Right. But it's not, not consistent enough yet. So for him, if you have, you know, and I, I know this mom's listening, and I know she has this book, so I would get out that that level three, level four stuff, 
and just drive it home and then start to really think about verbal routines with him and how she can set it up so that she might, you know, if she's playing with Elmo, she might, even at this little level four uh, play sound imitation level, she might have a little routine where Elmo gets hurt and where Elmo falls down. And now Elmo's going to cry, and she can model that. And I bet in a few weeks, hopefully days, but in a a few weeks, he would start to, you know, fake cry. And again, you can set up some of these, even these little play sounds where they're more like verbal routines where they're going to start to just pop I do out. Better, just for the record, I do better with crying on <laughs> Well, we cry differently. That's my version. You of, You're wow. That's my version of crying. Yeah, and I do that. They like it better, I'm telling you. <laughs> well, kids like my crying version just great, let me tell you. <laughs> well, my kids, I guess I do the other one better. <laughs> you do it funny. You do it, you're skimmy. <laughs> so that's why they like it. Yeah, that's it. It is cute. I've heard you do it. I thought it was really cute. Even something like a yawn with him or even those little earlier things where he's clicking her tongue, where, you know, um, we did the drinking sound, the pew, 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 you know, any little play thing like that where it sounds like there's a little sound effect there, you know, and even if it's ridiculous, and you're thinking, I cannot believe I am doing this as a grown professional woman. Um, those are a lot of times the ones the kids really try to imitate. And sometimes it just happens for the moment. You don't even know if they're going to be able to do it. And it just kind of, you do it and do something weird and they do it back. And so you'll just have to kind of get in your groove with him too and see what he likes. And it's great that his receptive language has improved so much because that gives you more to go on and his attention is better. Um, and it sounds like his, um, you know, he's just able to play better than he was to stay with her better than he was before, especially doing a lot of that receptive language stuff. So I think there's a lot to work with here, and we just have to still bring it down to the level where he can be successful. Um, and I got another question like this from a mom that I had been emailing to, and she said that her she's feeling a little bit overwhelmed by the number of therapists that are in her house every week and everybody's just giving her new stuff to do and she still doesn't feel like anybody has a really good read on them. And she's saying, you know, could you tell me one thing that I, and she's somebody who, you know, bought everything, you know, so she's got all five DVDs and three books and she's still feeling overwhelmed and saying, tell me one thing that I could do with him to help. And he's a kid, this particular mom, he's a kid who already has some signs and he's already doing uh, you know, she said he's really good at making up his own sign for something. Like when he wants to watch the dinosaur train video, he stomps like they do. I guess it's a little dance. You know, so he comes up with really creative ways to communicate. I, I um, love kids who make up their own signs. They're always too. pretty fun kids. <laughs> yeah, really smart. And she said that he, uh-huh. um, but she said he's he's so quiet. He just they just can't get him to do anything vocally. And so this was my homework to her. You know, this is I want you to read these pages in this book and do this. Because, you know, she's still mm-hmm. again, she's saying, Boil it down for me. I'm totally overwhelmed. I just I d I can't I say words to him all day. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. He follows directions. You know, he, he interacts with me. He comes and tries to make up stuff. If I don't know what he wants, he tries to show me. You know, but what can I do oh. to get into move toward talking? This is it. This is where I would start for a kid like that. All these little sound effect kinds of things. Um, and, again, I think a lot of therapists kind of overlook this. I think sometimes we even forget to talk to moms about this. Sometimes I've done that before. I've, you know, talked to a mom about how many words does the kid have, and I might, you know, we'll talk about signs and stuff, but I don't ask, well, how many little sounds does he make? Because sometimes that that'll give you a clue of where you should start in therapy because that's what he's already doing. That's where he's already successful. He may only have one or two words that he said, you know, once in a blue moon he's able to pop out, but he's not able to really vocalize anything um, 
on request, but then you start, you know, you'll hear him make some car noises, and you'll say to mom, is that new? When did that happen? And she'll say, well, no, he's been doing that for a while. And, you know, I always kick myself when that happens because I think I didn't ask her the right questions because that would have told me I need to be working with him at this really early vocalization level, so let me get in here and see what else I can do here. And I just think meeting kids where they are is always a good idea. You don't always start with what your end goal is. You figure out what they're sort of trying to do on their own, meet them there, expand it. You know, you try to get, instead of one or two little sounds in play, you try to hear ten different things in play. And then um, they're going to build their ability to do that and their ability to be able to imitate you more frequently with what they can do. And then voila, it gets easier and they move on up to the next level. And again, you don't always have to understand why a kid's doing that. I mean, it's great if you can put your finger on it and isolate it and call it cognitive maturity or increase the phonemic repertoire, whatever. As a mom, you don't have to understand all that. You just have to do it. And again, I think that's the beauty of all this stuff we call, you know, uh, language, speech language development and, you know, neurological maturation. Sometimes it really doesn't. You don't have to know exactly what happened or how to make it happen. You just have to kind of put these things in place, do it often enough, meet a kid where he is, and then he does get better with time. Yeah, that's an interesting kid, the the email child you just described, because um, it sounds like he doesn't have a clue. And, again, for probably different underlying reasons, he doesn't know how to imitate. Anything, right. anything verbal. It sounds like anything. Right, right. So, but he got to start with the fun yeah. stuff. So, that, and he may I have a few of those. Or one time I got a kid this part. He'll what? Go ahead. I said she said he did have what a few little pop out words, but he can't ever do them. You know, he never says them when the uh-huh. therapist are there. Uh huh. Yeah. All right. What were you going to say? One time I got oh, a kid that I got a couple of number of years ago now, but I've never had one exactly like this, but your talk today reminded me of him. He was a kid who maybe had a word or two when I got him. He was over two, maybe 30, maybe 28 months. And he could do every sound effect in the whole house. Yeah. (laughs) He was the cutest. He could do he could do the coffee maker, the dishwasher, the garbage disposal, the every he could do the fan. He could he could do every he was the funniest, cutest little thing I'd ever seen. Now I've only ever gotten one like that who could do every sound in the world. The lawnmower, but you know Yeah. And then how did he end up doing? How did he look at I bumped him up from he had all of those, but he didn't have, like, any animal sounds. So right away, you know, I pushed him to animal sounds. He got those right away. Oh, he got really verbal. I cut him loose before he was three. See? That's awesome. Yeah. But you worked the theory. Yeah. And you knew to just yep. make it a little bit harder, not too hard. He couldn't go straight to words, real words yet. But you bumped him up just that next little rung, and he was able to do it. I one of the words he said and liked that I said to him one time and he learned this is, he he said delicious. <laughs> That's so cute. I was like, okay, I think you're pretty good now. Okay, I think we're done. Yeah, he he, yeah, he was one of those today, buddy. Yeah. yeah, he was like I said, pretty much nonverbal and had every yeah. every sound effect there was. And then just boom, once he got it, once he understood, you could, you know, if I didn't push him to words quite yet, but then got to words quickly, he, he took off. Right. He made amazing Because you met him where he was. Met him where he was. Yeah. And we, a lot of times, we'll forget about this little sound effect phase, but it's important for a lot of kids. And, it, and again, it's overlooked by a lot of moms and some therapists. I mean, sometimes the speech pathologists and early interventionists, we don't necessarily ask about the ask about those words and so mom right. doesn't know or those sounds and mom doesn't know where to tell or, us or worse or even, yet not even use them right and so you're still modeling tell me cookie 
when really you should be yeah. going, Cookie Monster says, nom, 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 you know, or whatever. You should be at that level. And then they learn, oh, my gosh, this, this is fun. I can kind of do that. And even if they're off-target approximations at the beginning, who cares? Like Linnell said that when he tried to forgot what her specific example was, but it came out more like, Guh. oh, she's trying to sneeze. She tried to do a pretend sneeze, and she says, ah, and she said he tries to do the chew part, even though it sounds more like, Guh. that's okay. You know, you're going to take that little purposeful participation or approximation and get it in there whenever you can. So I'll tell you one I'd try and get from him, which is kind of a pseudo word, is woo-woo for choo-choo. Woo-woo. Yeah. You know, just do the sound. Don't yeah. don't say choo-choo, just woo-woo and see if you can get him to do that. Yeah, or even anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Woo-woo. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. And that's that next little step up. That's almost like an exclamatory mm-hmm. word, but it's all right there. And that's the other thing is even as a therapist, you don't even have to think, okay, if I have large book, is that level three or is that level four or is that level five? Level five, who cares? Just <laughs> think about it needs to be simpler than a real word. And you will not yeah, go and wrong. And I don't think that's theory. I don't, I don't think that... Um you know, I think in typical development, like you said, those happen very early and very easily. Kids just right. automatically do them. And, right. You know, but for these kids, that's hard. You know, that's how yeah. hard it is for them. For them, that's hard. So yeah. a typical kid at 10 months is doing a lot of those sounds. And you're like, wow, you know, before you know it, they're saying the words. But it usually kids, comes. Yeah, right before mm-hmm. true words emerge or as true words are emerging. But you don't find a lot of stuff about that written in language development literature, but it should be there because it really it is a part of Well, it is. Of, you wrote it. Well, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you know, if you're looking at a milestone list, it's probably not Yeah, you be. really don't. Right. Mm-hmm. And as a speech and yet, probably, I think you know, it's really important that. Yeah. It's huge. It's a big, big And what step. it is is the imitation piece. And see, for most kids, they have the imitation piece. So you don't have to stop there or focus there because they can go right to the words. Right. But for our little guys, you so. have to make it easy enough for them to try to imitate. And especially when you get a kid like, like that first mom who called today, he knows I can't yep. talk like that. And so you'll get some mm-hmm. kids who are even at this level who aren't even doing a lot of single words yet. They know on some level that's hard. I can't do it. And it's not that they're lazy. It's not that they're stubborn. They know I can't make my mouth move like that. I haven't figured out how to make that noise come out of my mouth yet. But if you make it really fun and really simple, and if you, again, you have to be so repetitive when you're modeling it. You can't take the list and, you know, model all of those just one after another. You've got to do the same one over and over and over again so they feel compelled to try to do it themselves. And that's another mistake sometimes people will make. You know, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to do all these, I'm going to do all these play sounds, but they try to do, you know, 45 different play sounds when really they should stick to three or four with, you know, within the context of over several play activities, you're doing the same play sound. You know, everything is going to eat that day that you're playing. You know, if you're playing with Thomas, Thomas is going to try to eat the little, you know, whatever's beside the, the traction. Thomas is going to try to eat the grass and go... And then, you know, you switch to you switch to Dora and Diego and they're gonna try to eat whatever it is and you switch to then you switch to the farm animals and the farm animals will try to eat. And so you carry that same sound through from activity to activity to activity and then they finally start to try that themselves. So that's another little tip to uh be repetitive and carry it through several activities. So that will be my parting wisdom for today. Any other little final thought here? No, just those ended up being pretty interesting. And I think you're right. If they'll both back it down just a bump below that, they'll 
you know that when the kids start to get it and they realize that's when they're really motivated to keep you know to, then they're ready they kind of get it like okay I can do it you that's know, my got part. To understand. yeah yeah, yeah. got to get the imitation piece right and one thing yeah. I forgot to say is sometimes if you can pair it with an action and I sort of alluded to this so that if you're making all of the toys eat you're going to be doing that sound or you know the cry sound you know if you're playing babies and you're doing Kate's uh, whatever, then you're going to make, but, you know, then you'll, you're holding the baby when you do that and you're making the baby shake or whatever, or you're, when you're making the farm animal eat, you're really using an object like that so you take that focus off what the child's mouth is supposed to do and sometimes that really makes it easier for the kid too because there's something else for them to do or um, kind of pay attention to. And, again, that's what makes that whole... That's what makes it more automatic because sometimes if they're focusing on it too much or if you have so much pressure on them to do it, they can't do it then. But if it's playful and you've introduced it with another object, again, it just kind of pops out before they even really plan to do it. And and if a kid truly has a motor planning issue, that's almost always how we get it initially before they even sort of mean to do it. If it's that focused, intense, um, you know, right in their face, that's really not how we get it at the beginning. Now, eventually we bump it up and, you know, and, you know, up the ending and put some pressure on it, but at the yeah. beginning, <laughs> but at the beginning, that's not how we right. do it. We just model, because model, Because that model. very pressure is what, what shuts them down so right. completely. I mean, you've got to, I always say, it's a double-edged sword. You want to put communicative pressure on them, but if you put too much, you get the deer in the headlights. Right, you know, like I can't do it. It's too if much. I would, I could. Yeah. If I could, I would. Yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. But that other object there sometimes makes it easier because it takes the focus off. Right, and the movement thing with, I think it is, it's just distracting. Just like, right. Well, anyway, we could go on about that, but yes, exactly. it works, so that's a good point. Good point. We're done. Me. We're six minutes okay. over. Get off the treadmill, ladies. You're done. Your hour's finished. Drink some water. <laughs> you made it. Go Hoosiers. Bye. Bye. Talk to you next week.